Lights, camera, action. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfuckers, and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness <laughs> in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm your host, Luke Byron, joined as always by Sean Shoot. And that's about as far as it goes, <laughs> because uh, we've got no Keenan for uh, the Christmas podcast. He'll be back when the action bracket comes back around. We've got no Harper today, so he'll be back next week, he tells me. And maybe for an interview that we may drop tomorrow night, but more on that later. And we have a returning Tom Kennett. Did the comedy bracket, so if you've not listened to those, go back and check them out. If you have, I'm sure you're uh, clapping to yourselves now that he's back. So anyway, if you have, stick with it. It's not. It won't be that bad again. Don't worry. <laughs> Time to get festive here. This is the first of four episodes as we break down essentially our favourite Christmas films ever. We're not going to decide the ultimate Christmas film, the comedies. So there's no seeding in particular here. This week we're starting with 1988's Die Hard up against 1990's Home Alone. So two big style clashes there, but they come together in that it's one man taking on Christmas or one boy in this case. So how did everyone find the rewatches this week? Nostalgic? Very nostalgic. Very good. Easy rewatches as well. I had a bit taken away with the Home Alone one because me and Keenan watched not the whole film, but some of the scenes a couple of months back for an interview that'll be dropping next Wednesday. But still, watching the whole thing through, great film. Hard to believe how young Macaulay Culkin is there as well. That did really throw me. Right, I know I've, I've obviously I've re- probably watch it every year, but just for some reason this year, it really threw me just looking at him, knowing what he's obviously so much older now. Does it spin you out even more that Troy said Home Alone 4 was the best one? I mean, that is <laughs> ridiculous. If you, <laughs> if you Google um, Home Alone, like, you know, these days you have, obviously, the, the suggestions, but you have the three little like, drop-down boxes of questions that you can click on on your first Google search. Okay. Do you know what I mean here or not? But anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. one of those, the top one is, um, why is Home Alone 4 so bad? <laughs> so Troy's got a lot to answer for. I don't know if I ever got past two. No, I haven't. I've so, seen. Look, it may I've be seen, a banger. <laughs> I've seen three. I know that. I'm not 100 sure if I've seen four, or maybe I've seen four and not three. Um, but yeah. <laughs> what if it's just Home Alone? What if Home Alone four TK is like how we were with Hot Tub Time Machine two? Well, we heard bad things and so just didn't give it a chance. And it could be absolutely incredible. We were still very much in the minority on that view, though. So. <laughs> well, if you if you search Hot to Time Machine 2, there is like a, a loyal collection of people that yeah. do go out to bat for Hot to Time Machine 2. But you click on their profiles. It's not a good look for us. It's we, not a club we want to be a part of. We found a bad community. <laughs> Anyway, we'll go Die Hard, then Home Alone. So, an NYPD officer tries to save his wife and several others taken hostage by German terrorists during a Christmas party at the Nakatomi Plaza 
in Los Angeles. When was the first time any of either of you watched this film? I haven't got a clue, to be honest. I watched I it, remember. I think, the year Die Hard 4.0 came out on DVD because I remember getting the box set with four of them in. And I'm pretty sure on Christmas night we watched the first one. So I associate it with Christmas anyway. I probably watched it after. I think Die Hard 4 was the first Die Hard I ever watched. Crikey. Crikey. I think I watched it early by virtue of the fact my stepmom has a real thing for Bruce Willis. (laughs) So I happened to have seen quite a collection of Bruce Willis films. I can can see a bit of Bruce Willis in in (laughs) Steve-O. My dad is not like Bruce Willis. (laughs) He wishes he was was that cool. (laughs) <laughs> Go out to bat for for Bruce here, but in 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 a long list of ones where people you hear that they have like a crush on someone, Bruce Willis is one of the ones that's probably easiest to understand. And you get somewhere they're like Justin Long in Dodgeball, <laughs> and it's like I'm not seeing this. <laughs> Bruce Willis, he's a big tough guy. He'd take care of you, Sean. I think Justin Long's a handsome man, but not uh, not his specific character in Dodgeball though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Very so, odd. This is this is a real tangent, by the way. Did you see that on purpose but, as well? Because Justin Long is in Die Hard Four, isn't he? <laughs> no, I didn't. But uh, we, I can take that out, and we can say that it I was did. in his mind. Yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say, TK? Or was that so, the tangent? So, no, was what we wrote. <laughs> no, no, very, very odd tan- tangent. This, but in terms of very odd sort of crushes and people that are swooning over people on Twitter the other day, I saw Vernon K trending, and obviously he's <laughs> gone into I'm a celebrity. And these girls are going mad for Vernon K, and they're like, like teenage girls, all like women in their twenties, all just going mad for Vernon K. I'm like, have I missed something here? He usually trends around the Christmas time where there's a rumor that he's dead every single year. Vernon K. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> usually around New Year. He, he gets the classic <laughs> Sean Kingston jet ski. <laughs> it's always, it's always a jet ski. If you search on. Uh, Google like Vernon K death hoax. There will be loads of them. Oh right, I must have missed this. Top everything. headline here: Vernon K on I'm a celeb star once at the centre of disgusting death hoax. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I, you know, I'm not saying he's not a handsome bloke, but there was, there was just there were women going, you know, all enough to sit on his face and stuff. Bloody hell, love. Someone like uh, Paddy McGuinness needs to pay homage to Vernon K because without Vernon, look, you don't get Paddy. I don't know, do you, is there ever any, I wonder That's if there are any tweets out there from um, girls that do like, you know, the the toilet or the water ones that Maya Jammer gets oh, <laughs> to, do, to do the equivalent, but for bloke. <laughs> I remember Georgia Smith doing an interview with oh, um, Hot, 10, Hot 107, I think it was, in America. And she was like, her dad would used to search her name on Twitter and she's just had to tell him, please don't. He's just. Oh, could you imagine? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Poor bloke. Uh, that that seems to be a very short phase where, like, I'm not saying anyone doesn't think she's fit anymore, but for a while she was like the one for like a two week period, mainly just because she was linked with linked with Maya Jammer, where that was a debate. If Messi Ronaldo was as easy to settle well. as Maya Georgia Smith, because Georgia Smith took quite a resounding lead at first. And people see, saw it as almost a hot take to go for Maya Jammer. And then it swung back round the other way where it'd probably be a hot take now if you said Georgia Smith. Well, this was all with Stormzy, wasn't it? 
Yeah. And that meme with her in the shower that always gets cropped off and people say, like, insanity, going back to this. I saw I saw you either like or retweet something over there where he said, you got me again, but I'll be back or something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Just like, how on earth are we on this? Yeah, we, Bruce Willis to Georgia Smith, so there we go. <laughs> Critics' reviews for Die Hard, then. Uh, a spectacularly thrilling film, possessing enough brains to match its brawn. The picture is extremely violent. Bombs go off, bullets rip through flesh. Heads are slammed against steel, but Die Hard is also smart, satirical, and in an odd way, heartwarming. Die Hard still feels as fresh and thrilling as the first time it's screened. From the superb pacing through to the sarcastically sinister villainy of Alan Rickman, this remains a crucial template for the modern action film. This, this next one, I'll, I'll see if you have the same reaction to this as me. It's as though the filmmakers approached each scene by asking themselves, how entertaining can we make this? <laughs> Should, is that not the goal? In life? Yeah, it was. Um, what sets Die Hard apart from most action movies is the depth of characterization. John McClane is not a macho toy with a bulletproof body. He is a thinking, feeling man who can't believe he's doing most of what he does. Some negativity, a serviceable, if not overextended, overblown adventure thriller. Climbing. A seminal action film that created an entire subgenre, super action. But the key to its success is how effectively it pits Willis's common man hero against Rickman's haughty arch villain. A landmark film that breathed life and originality into an area of cinema where only formulas were proven reliable. Quite like that one. Yeah. Rent it on Christmas Eve and give that wonderful life shit a rest for one year. <laughs> when I spoke about this podcast in the office and said the films we were doing, this bloke said, you're not doing a wonderful life. And then asked if, if it's the one, it's like, is that the one where his tongue gets stuck to the pole? And he was like, oh, I don't know, I've not seen it, but just thought it was shocking you're not doing that. Superb. <laughs> 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 Slower to get going than I remembered, and that's a good thing. And finally, for what it is, this is the top model. Flash, bang, and witty one-liners all included. Yeah. So there yeah. we go. Do you see this as a Christmas film? If the debate pops up as it does every year? It happens at Christmas. It's, it does, does set a Christmas. It does like... seem to be the new Christmas film. Yeah, it does feel yeah. like it kind of ushers in Christmas. This is kind of like the gateway drug. To the harder stuff. The second <laughs> yeah, one that yeah. might actually be more Christmassy. Because I watched that. Um, it's the second one, the airport one. I watched the last night actually. Yeah, the airport. Yeah. Well, they've carved out a nice little niche here by having a film that you can watch any time of the year, but it is also a Christmas classic. So yeah. obviously, get. But the the way they kind of do it in the film is kind of shameless. It seems, it does really just go from action from action from action film. Cut away to the Christmas tree or something like that. Would you say <laughs> it's like a little, a little reminder every so often that it is Christmas? <laughs> Would you say it's the uh, it's the film version of Staying Every Day by E17? Because like, yeah, really I'm not sure, but I'll run with it because I think it's because a cool it's, analogy. Yeah, really nothing to do with Christmas, but but they put they, they, they put some snow in the video and and, and goes that was on enough, and, and it's a Christmas song. <laughs> Literally solely based on the snow and nothing else. <laughs> great song, though. I'm just not looking well, is, forward it, to it. Is a great someone song. will tweet saying, how have I only just realised how creepy it is saying, I touch your face while you're sleeping? 
as if no one else had heard it for the last 20 years. There'll be articles about that, won't there? Like cancel E17 and Baby is Cold Outside will be the one that we usually get the article about. I yeah, think that's yeah. a that's a goner, isn't it? I think as of at least last year, it's well, we've had it with no more. Fair to say, New York Even this year, where people just... forget that you don't play swearing on the radio anyway, <laughs> yeah. and people just want them to blare out maggot at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but like the 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 drink, the thing like what's in this drink? Usually, be like, oh, what is it? Like, what kind of alcohol is this? Like, but sorry, but people have. To I don't. Do. Oh, it's a drug. It, yeah, his voice doesn't maybe help we're the either. Ones thinking it. I said it, before, uh, his, Tom Jones' yeah. version did no favors to it. He made it, it extra creepy. Tom Jones was how he words, did it. Yeah, I don't know how he did it, but he made it super creepy. All right, well, I've got some trivia for us, and I'm sure we'll get back into the Christmas movie debate later when we get into uh, how Christmassy does this make you feel. So Bruce Willis received a then unheard of five million fee, which was approved by Fox President Rupert Murdoch. The costume department had 17 undershirts in various stages of degradation on hand for Bruce Willis. And they still get it wrong in the one scene, don't they, where he comes out in a completely different colour and then it goes white again. (laughs) I know because my dad mentions it every single time I mention the film. Nice little tradition for you there. Nice. The scene where Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman meet up was unrehearsed to create a greater feeling of spontaneity between the two actors. Uh, this was the feature film debut and Hollywood debut of Alan Rickman, who previously only appeared on stage and on British television. He was 41 at the time, and he was nervous about how his first Hollywood role would go over. But obviously, it all worked to plan. He also nearly passed up the role because he didn't want to be typecast as a villain. Beggars <laughs> can't be choosers comes to mind there. <laughs> yeah. Because he's badly at it. Essentially, the, the director's wife um, dragged him to go and see a play. And Alan Rickman was in this play. And he just, in the story goes, pointed at the guy on stage and said, that's my Hans Gruber. And so he's gone from just being on stage, going around the country doing these kind of things, to next thing, he's in a massive Hollywood blockbuster alongside Bruce Willis. That's a pretty so, cool story. There you go. Um, the 20th Century Fox, the production company behind Die Hard, formally admitted that Die Hard was a Christmas movie after stating it's the greatest Christmas story ever told on the 30th <laughs> anniversary. <laughs> I always like to bring these ones in. John McTiernan turned the script down several times. He felt it was a nasty piece of work. <laughs> When he was finally persuaded to take it on, he was able to lighten some of the film's darker edges. Do you just like look up like nasty and reviews? It just seems to appear all the time. Like last week, we had a comparison um, to Crank with Deadpool, and I couldn't believe it after the discussion we had while doing Crank. Yeah. And I thought everyone would assume I was lying after I had made a similar joke the week before. <laughs> in the German dub for this film, the terrorists are all given English names. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Pay uh, Labelle, that is. John Travolta was this considered movie... for the role of John McClane. Go on. Oh no, that would have been horrible, wouldn't it? 
I don't, I don't see John Travolta in that. So, so this 20th century... A, I'm not, sorry. So, so I'm not saying it's not the same now, but this really was a time when you could just go, villain, right, German or Russian, which one are we going to do? <laughs> there was no, no real thought about it. They could just throw them in. Yeah, you wouldn't even absolutely. actually call them the villain. Um, so John Travolta was considered, but 20th Century Fox wouldn't allow it because in their quotes, they said he was a has-been. Um, although Good further that. down the line, Travolta then goes on to co-star Bruce Willis in Look Who's Talking, Look Who's Talking 2 and Pulp Fiction, so not bad for someone who was finished. Yeah, shocker. For the shot where Hans Gruber falls from the top of the building, um, Alan Rickman was actually falling from a 21-foot-high model. He was holding onto a stuntman and falling onto an airbag, but to get the right reaction, the stuntman dropped him on the count of two rather than three. That's, yeah. So what, John he, McT- he falls, you say he falls 21 foot? Yeah. 21 feet. To an airbag. Um, the director had to find a way to cut away from Hans Gruber's face every time he fires a gun because Alan Rickman had an uncontrollable habit of flinching from the noise and the flash. So if you look at when he shoots Takagi, that's the only time they show his face and he's wincing as he does it. Wow. Um, the on-screen body count is 21. So both Makatomi security guards, Takagi, Tony, Heinrich, Marco, James and Alexander, both blown up at the same time. Ellis, Fritz, Franco, Yuli, both agents, Johnson, and the other four men on the chopper, Eddie, Hans, and Carl. There you go. Um, the scene where McLean falls down a shaft was was a mistake by the stuntman. He was supposed to grab the first vents and kind of make it look cool, but he slipped. And so they left it in and just dubbed McLean over the top. Nice. When John McLean runs through the shards of glass and his bare feet, um, he's wearing rubber shoes, essentially, uh, designed to look like his feet. But if you look out for them, you can actually see that his feet are like quite unnaturally big in those <laughs> shots. So you can see they're fake. You can also see when the first guy gets killed and take, he gets sent down in the lift. He's, he's blinking while he's meant to be dead. <laughs> yeah, one job. Uh, um, in the making of uh, the director revealed that the majority of the exterior shots of the building showing explosions were real. Um, they just set off these full-scale explosions in and around the building until they couldn't get away with it anymore. What? Yeah. Well, it was essentially, it was Fox's own building. They couldn't find a suitable building, so they shot it in their own offices. They just moved everyone out while they shot Die Hard. Right. Um, Bruce Willis, obviously the all-American hero here, he's actually more German than any of the villains. Alan Rickman is... English, Alexander um, Godunov is Russian, and Bruce Willis was actually born in West Germany to an American father and a German mother. Bruce Willis was filming Moonlighting at the same time as this film, which is actually why you get bigger roles for um, his name there, the police officer who likes the Twinkies and Argyle. So yeah, Al Powell, Ellis, and Argyle they all get bigger roles because. McLean just couldn't carry all of the load while he was knackered from filming two films at the same time. If I'm paying you five million, I want all of your energy. Especially when you're filming Moonlighting. It's not quite the uh, yeah. not quite equal. 
In the original script, it took place over three days, but during his theatre run, the director was inspired to have it take place over a single night by watching A Midsummer Night's Dream. (laughs) He also thought, and this is why you get several discussions on this, about them not being terrorists and them being thieves. He thought it would put people off seeing the film if they thought they were watching a film about terrorists. And so that's why they make such a claim, like, we're not terrorists, we're thieves. Yeah, that, that does it. seem odd now, doesn't it? If, once you've taken a building with full of people yeah. and gunpoint. Uh, while making the film, cinematographer Jean de Bont got trapped in a lift. Um, this later gave him the inspiration for the opening scene of Speed, which he directed. Bruce Willis said in an interview when he was asked about the jokes he kind of makes as John McClane in the script and how people wouldn't do this in his position. And he had to point out that in your most uncomfortable positions people do joke as a way of kind of getting through it or getting around it so it really isn't that unusual that he'd be making wisecracks as he goes through no it's, it's certainly not the least believable thing that's happening in this film either is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> um also in the making of documentary reginald bell johnson said that after his appearances in the first two films he'd be frequently teased on the streets by people for his character's obsession with twinkies And people would go as far as just dashing them at him in his car. (laughs) Um, The original poster didn't even have Bruce Willis's face on it because they thought it would put people off seeing it where he wasn't a star at that point. So they went safe, just went with the building. And then when it started to do well, then they released another poster with Bruce Willis on. So Rough for Bruce, isn't it? You're getting turned down for a building. Well, you think you put... After you put five million in, you'd be sold on your guy, but obviously not. It's crazy they gave him that sum, considering his profile at that time. Exactly. Lauren Balligan's just got his first Arsenal goal. Um, Bruce Willis took the role of uh, John McClane after it had been turned down by Robert De Niro, who went on to play in Midnight Run around the same time, which John, which uh, Bruce Willis was rejected for. So. They kind of traded roles there, and they eventually opened up on the same weekend. That's a good film as well. So everyone that's your my uh, watch list. So mm, I'll get there eventually. I'm so, I thought so you were going to say Mel Gibson. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> listening to listen to you seem yeah, to say Mel Gibson's uh, turns out and Ronald turned it down. The the list the main other one is Arnold Schwarzenegger who they had booked on and then eventually kind of took away and opted not to use it. Um, well, that's when they went for going with a more realistic person because the same director had just worked on Predator and he was just right. sick of it. He was like, I don't want another guy you can run through bullets. <laughs> <laughs> he wants a real life person and so went for Bruce Willis instead. And I think they cut the budget, which probably helped make his decision. Yeah. But yeah, when I was getting the trivia, um, it was quicker to name people who weren't linked with the role than. <laughs> were because there's so many and as we saw with the last couple of directors we've spoken to largely garbage these uh, casting wives but it is nice to consider some of these people sometimes so we've got our Christmas categories to go on to Um, rewatchability here what do you think for Die Hard did it feel as long as it is to you no because it's over two hours isn't it yeah in my mind, I didn't have it as that long. I didn't feel that long when I watched it either. I think it's very rewatchable. 
The first gunshot comes 17 minutes into the film, so this long build-up that the critic referred to <laughs> isn't that long. <laughs> it is it is necessary to touch base a little bit. Yeah, so there you go, 17 minutes. And then it is pretty uh, straight in when they come in doing the basketball commentary and then bang, and you're in. <laughs> Let's go from there. So you got the headshot to start off. I think it was... a. Uh, Shea Serrano looked back through all these basketball games to try and pinpoint if that was a real game that they're referring to around the same time, but no, it's not a real game. <laughs> Is he having a slow day? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's what you get paid to do at the ringer. Yeah, yeah. Probably worst jobs you can be doing as well. <laughs> but still, we yeah, all that way for it to, to not find the game, so... Or there at least one isn't they there isn't one that exists. I mean, how would you even begin to I, do that? Because how could you know? It's quite a generic line. Well, yeah, is it like magic to worthy or something like that? As well? Yeah, for the what? final for the final play of the game though, and there's also right. Okay, there's a radio play at some point. I mean, there's a long thing about it when I listen to the audio book, but yeah, they essentially went through all the Christmas games around that time. <laughs> To oh, see no. if it was a real game, <laughs> it wasn't. That is the niche of niche. Yeah. Um. So, do you think it is rewatchable? This one? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll we'll go on to the. I mean, I got a point on on the the uh, length of the film with, with the other film in the bracket, but uh, yeah, despite it being just over two hours, it's still definitely watchable. Um, I thought the the fact that I started it. Um, a couple of days before and then decided I'd save it for the week of the pod. And despite the fact that I was already about an hour in, I didn't skip back to where I was. I was more than happy to watch that first hour again and it didn't feel like I was bored watching it. So, And that was twice within a couple of days. So ultimate rewatchability. Hey, if you if you look at Friends, Joey and Ross watch Die Hard straight away after watching it the first time and watch it straight away again. That doesn't say anything about rewatch war. I don't know what does. <laughs> Might say something about friends. In fairness, <laughs> you like it. You pretend you don't like it. Well, I mean, if I liked it that much, I'd probably have made more of an effort to watch through. You don't hate it as much as you once claimed to, though. No. Yeah. I mean, I might be more tempted to watch it as Jack was saying this week about when we did news of the week in the Phoebe. Uh, what's the word? <laughs> For carrying a baby for someone else. Uh, the, her brother. Kind yeah, but what's the word for it? Um, uh, sur- surrogate. Surrogate, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Jack yeah. saying if she, she was doing it for a mother of her, so that would have put a different <laughs> spin on friends than the wide known. <laughs> I thought you were going to go on to as well, where she finds, uh, for weird news, she finds a thumb in a can. Uh, right. Right. So it's, I, thought, I thought you were going down those lines. No. <laughs> If, if we go on what to the would you quotes, do? What would you do if you found a thumb in a can? I don't, hopefully I'll never have to cross that bridge. Oh, Bowen didn't drink a drink when he had a pip in there, so he's not he's not finishing that. Well, would, you're like the the someone else's years. apple pip in my drink. You're the thirstiest, <laughs> thirstiest you've ever been. But there's I'll, a thumb in there. Do you take a I'll, sip? Get it down, yeah. It was principal TK, that that pip. I think you, you just don't put a pip in another man's drink. <laughs> I don't know why people laugh off at drinking and dropping pennies in each other's drinks. That is absolutely disgusting. <laughs> How dirty coins are. Do you know what I drink? I wouldn't be laughing if someone did that, I'll tell you that. 
I know you wouldn't. So you're necking a coke. It's probably not great for you as it is. It's fine. No, but I was going to say at least I know what's in that. I don't know what's in it, but <laughs> at least it's uh, regulated. There's no uh, regulatory uh, organisation for dropping coins in drinks. On to the quotes then. First one comes to mind for me, aside from Yippie Kaye, which we've covered. Um, him saying, in response to attention, whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only. <laughs> Who does that woman think she is? Is it no fucking shit lady? Does it sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Do <laughs> <laughs> like that one. And even still, when they hear gunshots, they just send one bloke with no sign. And he's about to leave. Until they launch a body at him, he's out of there. <laughs> i got a hundred people down here and they're covered with glass. Is glass? Who gives a shit about glass? <laughs> this is the Deputy Chief of Police, Dwayne T. Robinson. I'm in charge. We well, are in charge. Some bad news for you, Dwayne. We're up here. And then he says, I'm not the one who just got butt fucked on national TV. You listen to me, you jerk off. You're not part of the solution. You're part of the problem. And quit being a fucking problem. Put the other guy back on. And they're all that's loving a, it. That's a very nice suit, Mr. Mr. Nuggets told me. You'd be ashamed to ruin it. I don't know if there's something like an issue with it. So the scene where he comments on the make of suit gets removed from TV when they show it in America. That's it. Really? I don't know why. There was no ex- explanation I could get as to why. That's the time saving. That's a time saving thing. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't need this. You throw quite a party. I didn't realize they celebrated Christmas in Japan. We're flexible. Pearl Harbor didn't work out, so we got you with tape decks. And the guy that plays <laughs> Takagi is in the Pearl Harbor film. Is he? Yeah. That's superb. Yeah, as if I. Well, the guy is just doing a line off the table while the boss and <laughs> the company just walks in, then it's all just fine. Ellis is a real piece of work, isn't he? Oh, he's, he's a, a piece, piece of work. Isn't he? I thought TK might like him, but obviously I'm wrong there. No, he's he's done a really good job of making himself look like the sweet. <laughs> he says, Hans, Bobby. <laughs> and that wasn't scripted. That was improvisation on his part. Hmm. Jeez. Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> I also quite enjoy when Al says, when he's talking about what's in like the kind of what it is that he, that he buys Twinkies. in with. Twinkies, that's it. He's like, yellow dye number five, everything a grown boy. Who uh, sells Twinkies to you better? Sandler and Click or Alan Diehard? Probably Alan. Alan Diehard, yeah. Saying there for his wife. And the guy in the shops, I'm in mean, none of it. The audacity in the shop. Yeah, Ellis as well. <laughs> hey, babe, I negotiate million dollar deals for breakfast. I think I can handle this Euro trash. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. I hate this guy. That's what <laughs> he said, hey, business is business. You use a gun, I use a fountain pen. What's the difference? Let's put it in my terms. You're in a hostile takeover. It's not just up for some green mail. If you're not expecting some poison pill, you're running around the building. Am I right? And Bobby, I'm your white knight. What does he think he's going in there and, and going to be able to achieve? <laughs> I love it on the walkie-talkie when McLean's talking and he's doing the like, yapping sign with his hands as he's going on, <laughs> saying, look, I'm not a method actor. I'm doing the best I can do. If McLean doesn't show up for that party... He might put his. He might put a bit more grafting on uh, Holly. 
Yeah, she might relent. Christmas she might, party. She might... She's not using the name McLean. That's a... she's halfway to cheating. He'd slide a bit of China away. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. She'll be. Uh... She'll be loving it. The, the the special agent when they're in the helicopter saying, I figure we take that to terrorists, lose 20, 25% of the hostages tops. You know, we'll just oh, yeah, I can live with that. <laughs> None of them are presented very well, are they? Like FBI, no. police. None of them come out of it well. Gruber saying to Holly after she says, after all your posturing, you're nothing but a common thief. So I'm an exceptional thief, Mrs. McLean. And since I'm moving up to kidnapping, you should be more polite. He does have some good lines, doesn't he? Seems when he's killed the guy, and he's like, he won't be joining us for the rest of his life. That's very villainous. His thing with not wanting to be typecast as a villain is like no one's had a chat with him before because his voice alone, even if you don't see his face, is villainous. Yeah. And surely someone has said this to him. Yeah, surely no one said to him, look, one day you're going to be like the uh, the good-looking hero in the film. No, no, no. We know where you are here, son. You've got to lean into it. Does Rickman work as the villain if Schwarzenegger is McLean? Or does he just look too little and fragile next to him? Uh, yeah, but you're not, you're not, he's not a villain in this because of, you know, being physically imposing at all, is he? So I, I don't think you could take many things seriously once Arn is in it full stop. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I just thought if it was Arnie, they might go for a big meathead villain. You're still, you're still, you know, still backing Bruce in a scrap with Rickman, aren't you? So, are you backing yourself against Bruce today? He is 65. No, you've gone fuzzy there, Sean. I reckon he, he can still give you the eyes. He give you the eyes, and you, you quake. No, that's what I said. <laughs> Look, line him and Clive Owen up. I want this work. <laughs> you disrespecting Clive Owen. He's King Arthur, for God's sake. But if he doesn't respond to a call out, I have to take that as ducking. He responded the to fight. the call. He responded to the call of Rome. <laughs> so I think he'll, he's probably not bothered about your call. I would love it if he did respond. Stuck it on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the few Family Guy episodes I've watched is. Peter saying that he could take Liam Neeson and eventually Liam Neeson does just batter him. <laughs> Any more quotes before we continue? I think the come out of the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs is one of the classic sort of Bruce throwaway <laughs> lines. One of a number I know, but... What, what's, uh, what's your best moments? Oh, sorry. I was just going to say thanks for the... When he says thanks for the advice, after because when that bloke's on the top of the table, the yeah. next time you can kill a man. Do it straight away, and then that is very good. Yeah, agreed. What's your best moment slash scene, TK? I think you've only got a handful to select from here, really, in terms of the standouts. But it it probably is the Alan Rickman death, isn't it? In truth, it's probably the best. See that the most iconic, I think. Yeah, I think you've got the explosion like just before that. So I think that's got to be classic action scene. Uh, delay killing him just because he laughs never fails. <laughs> we said, even, even the fall is quite classic really yeah I don't know if you listened to last week's pod TK I was saying that one of the cheat codes in uh, when guns are involved is to pull the gun towards your own head and the person never shoots and this laugh seems to be another cheat code in 
delaying so you have enough time to save yourself. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So we've I'm got quite the handbook to, here. I'm aiming to listen to your last week's pod um, tomorrow, actually. So no, no further spoilers, please. All right. Sean, any anything different for best moment scene? Uh, yeah, the other one I would probably mention is when um, Hans and John McClane meet for the first time. So when he's obviously pretending to be um, like a worker or not a hostage, who he is, and then and then uh, obviously pulls a gun on him, and then obviously realises there's no bullets and he runs away. But that whole dialogue before that comes out, and then when they're about to move, I quite like that one. Um, but yeah, other than that, it, it is that. That kind of ending and, and death scene. And the, uh, the elevator shaft audience, explosion, probably as well. The elevator shaft explosion, yeah. Yeah, which yeah, brings you on to the point. Like I remember watching it. I have a very big fear of elevator shaft. <laughs> I think that'd be one of my worst. I couldn't have done what he did. Like The whole the whole concept didn't freak me out. The way it goes up and down. You could have sat there. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I feel like there's a lot that he does that you couldn't do. Well, yeah, I, I know what you mean. But as in... If you pay me money now to go and be in an elevator shaft, I couldn't do it. But Would you, if you have to do that or the walk along the glass? I'd rather walk along the glass. So yeah, but that that is um, obviously a good scene. So I do quite like when the um, when it first kicks off when Al uh, goes in there and then he's obviously walking out and then um, McLean checks the body down onto the car and then he reverses the car out and then. That's when obviously it all picks up because the police are involved. I do quite like that scene also, but yeah, the main ones are the ones we've obviously already talked on. All right. MVP, I think, is quite clear in this case. Uh, <laughs> our Christmas Angel is uh, Holly McLean. Is too good looking for the LMHOF or not? Mm. Oh. I reckon no, I reckon she could go in there. She's quite plain in this. Yeah. Is the Christmas oh, angel the, this, the bird that's seconds away from being uh, piped in her office before she realises <laughs> yeah. there's other people in there and then just finds <laughs> another office? Yeah. yeah, you do see those titties. She's our Christmas yeah, I angel. How many weeks we're in to the, these podcasts, but it feels like there's still a debate about what the Leslie Man all of Oh, massively. <laughs> it's, 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 it's completely unconscious. Sean, there's still a debate as to what you mean when you say MVP. <laughs> <laughs> because if that... you look at Leslie Man, who it's named after, then I feel like you, you would put her in. in hey, she can be our first entrant of Christmas. Yeah. I, I wasn't actually sure what you meant by Christmas Angel. Um, I said, I put, I put the specs alongside. Which bird has charmed you the most? Oh, I didn't see the specs. I just if we did, if we did, if we did was... Home Alone two, it, it it could be the pigeon lady. She could have charmed you. It's <laughs> just on looks. I know. I thought it was kind of different, not related to like looks. I thought it was like you know yeah. you it's sort of similar to the Save Christmas kind of thing. He's right, charmed right. you. Um, right. Okay. Side character then for Ellis has got to be my pick here, even with Argyle and uh, what, Howell you're, not in there. To, you're not giving it to Big Al. In terms of enjoyment, I did thoroughly enjoy whenever Ellis was involved. <laughs> oh, I hadn't even really thought about Ellis. I think he, he aggravated me that much. <laughs> I you need that. You need that in a film. Yeah, no, it is true. You are right. 
Argyle would be up there if he had a couple more scenes. His character is hilarious. Just how long would you wait? Because in his <laughs> mind, nothing, nothing is going on. So how has he stayed there that long? <laughs> he's enjoying his time in the back of the limo. As he said, he's got everything there. He's getting ready to go up to higher up in the country to get some chicks. He's, he's living the dream. Drink. Yeah, well, he says after Dundee, it right at the end, he says, uh, if it is how they spend Christmas, I know who I'm spending my new year with. <laughs> but Die Hard 2, there must be about eight different times where they just say, Why, why is this? Why does this always happen to me? <laughs> I think it's the last line of the film, actually. Uh, Holly says, Why does this keep happening to us? She was alright. Like she was sat on a plane the entire time. <laughs> um, I come down to the other categories when we uh, do the comparison. So let's go on to Home Alone because there is plenty to get into there. So an eight-year-old troublemaker must protect his house from a pair of burglars when he's accidentally left home alone by his family during Christmas vacation. Critics reviews then. So harsh some of these. The charisma of Macaulay Culkin, matched with the intelligent script by John Hughes, makes this the definitive holiday story that is appealing to all ages. A hit for its slapstick humour, as well as the age-old theme of a kid who bests the grown-ups. A better director could have helped the film out considerably, even saved it. But even then, the script is tremendously weak, by Hughes' standards or anybody else's. The only really likeable thing about this film is Culkin. He's an uncommonly natural child actor, but even he doesn't always survive the tiresome gags. The aftershave bit is funny once, three times is tedious. A hilarious comedy, although not a very believable one. There can be no eight-year-olds this ingenious. Cheers. Wow, what on earth. <laughs> Kids will love this. Adults won't mind sitting through either. So his critique there is that it's not very believable. Wait till he hears about Father Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> there are a few movies that can be described as never having a dull moment, and Home Alone fits in this small group. It's the perfect family holiday film. Overrated. The burglar finale is great, but too much nonsense schmaltz. He was too forgiving of an abusive family. Sequel is a bit darker and a tad better. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> he was too forgiving of an abusive family. He's right. I do agree. I do actually prefer the second one on that note, but. I do until the pigeon woman appears. <laughs> I thought you liked the pigeon woman. No, it was just an example. The uh, only thing I think of when I think of a pigeon woman now is the tweet saying she looks like Piers Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> Superb. Um, if Home Alone had limited itself to the things that might possibly happen to a forgotten eight year old, I think I would have liked him more. I think that becomes quite a dark story, does it not? <laughs> That's from Sean's boy, Roger Ebert. Yeah, my boy. This is a film which manages to capture some of the best qualities of Christmas in a surprisingly enjoyable format and will provide the whole family with large quantities of festive spirit. And finally, simplistic and stupid, but it made me laugh a lot. I guess that's what they're aiming for at the end of the day. Probably fair on the whole, a lot of them. Yeah. I'll rip, I'll rip through some of his trivia. Um, Joe Pesci deliberately avoided Macaulay Culkin on set because he wanted Culkin to think he was mean. This is one of them where I think it's convenient. He probably just didn't want to be around a kid. And so he's like, no, this is my, this is my acting style. Yeah, I think 
<laughs> let's face it, Joe Pesci is renowned for being a bit, bit of an ass. So yeah, we as possible. We've got some good tales about him in the interview we've got dropping next week. Yeah. The picture Kevin finds of Buzz's girlfriend was a picture of a boy made up to look like a girl because director Chris Columbus thought it would be too cruel to make fun of a girl like that. The boy that was used in the photo was art director Dan Webster's son. Oh, that's a lot nicer then. <laughs> uh, Joe Pesci kept forgetting that he was filming a family movie during a character's on-screen outbursts. So director Chris Columbus advised him to say fridge instead of other expletives beginning with F. The line you guys give up or are you thirsty for more was improvised by Macaulay Culkin. Keenan would have liked that. Him dropping these big improvisations at nine years old. That's pretty wild, isn't it? Yeah. Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern felt indifferent about the movie's potential during shooting, so they intentionally gave over-the-top performances. Neither one of them believed in the movie would become a massive success and really be seen. It sounds strange to say now, but I can see how you would think that. Yeah, I don't know that you're going to be getting involved in this film and thinking this is going to be a blockbuster, especially with the record Pesci's got. Yeah. <laughs> the great films he's had previous to this. <laughs> uh, the movie that Kevin watches on videotape is not a real movie, but footage that was, that was specially created called Angels with Filthy Souls. Um, Macaulay Culkin's stunt double was a very short 30-year-old man. <laughs> My favourite bit of trivia all week. Why did they just get a kid? I don't know. <laughs> how, how much stunt double did he need? I don't know, but I feel like a stunt double kid is some neglect on a parent's part. <laughs> for a crash test yeah. dummy. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I was just thinking they just if they just needed someone for like a certain shot, you could just get another yeah. kid to do sort of the generic sort of parts. During rehearsal for the scene where Harry attempts to bite off Kevin's finger, Joe Pesci accidentally bit Macaulay Culkin and left a scar. Jeez. That won't pass his risk assessment, I'm sure. Daniel Stern wore rubber feet for his barefoot scenes, similar to Bruce Willis as John McClane in Die Hard. Seamless link. Director Chris Columbus would continually ask Joe Pesci to do his How Am I Funny speech from the Goodfellas on from Goodfellas <laughs> on set, much <laughs> to uh, Joe Pesci's despair. I was gonna I was gonna, imagine. I was gonna touch on this because where the dad says near the end where he calls um, he calls Kevin, you're a funny guy. Is that paying homage to you're a funny guy? It is a weird thing to say at the moment because he's got yeah. to get he's bread and milk and he's like, oh, funny guy. Yeah, why would you be calling your son a funny guy? I reckon that must be it. It must be I mean, paying homage to... Having freshly forgotten him and had to go <laughs> too fast and back and you just come back, you're a funny guy, you know? They do very quickly... <laughs> go oh we don't have the stuff in to make christmas dinner <laughs> they're very quickly over it. as is, as is kevin as as much as the, the guy in the review says about the abuse he probably should be a little bit more hang on you forgot me and the um, girl that does the headcount gets off lightly as well by the way if you she, if you if you pause when they spill um the pepsi you actually see that a ticket goes in the bin and you can see um uh, Kevin's name on there so even if they got to the airport he wouldn't have been getting on the plane anyway no that was a yeah that is quite a there's quite a delay there isn't it because I noticed that watching it this yeah. wasn't like but they had to they had to put it in obviously stop. so 
they say each base had to cover all angles as to how he could feasibly have left a kid behind. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the pages on the Playboy magazine that Kevin looked through were taped together, so young Macaulay Culkin couldn't see any nudity. Taped together. That's what we're going with, is it? <laughs> the movie originally had more scenes of the family in Paris, but test audiences just wanted to get back to Kevin. Fair. Despite Kevin being home alone, he's never once seen in his own room. Um, what ties into another interview that uh, me and Jack did, Chris Columbus was previously hired by John Hughes to direct National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. After meeting with Chevy Chase, however, it became clear to Columbus that the two of them would not get along. So he asked Hughes if there were any other projects he'd work on instead. This movie is one of the options presented to him, so not a bad fall off. Hmm. Uh, Robert De Niro turned down the role of Harry, which later went to Joe Pesci. Soon oh. after the movie, uh, Hilary Wolfe, who played uh, Megan, quit acting and became a member of the US Olympic judo team. Jeez. <laughs> the poster and video box image of Kevin with his hands on his face uh, and the most, uh, I guess, synonymous image with Home Alone uh, was actually done on accident by the fact that Macaulay Culkin just forgot to pull his hands away as he screamed. And that's how they ended up with that shot. Wow. Um, there is a legend that Elvis Presley, who died in 1977, made a cameo in this movie. Many of those who believe Elvis is alive maintained that the heavily bearded man standing in the background of the scene where Mrs. McAllister is shouting at the desk clerk just before she meets John Candy is Elvis. They asserted for years that the man is the correct age range Elvis would have been 55 at the time and makes a particular head movement that Elvis frequently made during concerts. No record has ever been found about this particular actor's participation in the movie. It's him. That's it then. Elvis ain't dead. The major success of this movie in Home Alone 2 allowed Chris Columbus to move on to other more successful projects like Mrs. Doubtfire and the first two Harry Potter movies. He's just a hit, hit distributor is... The way he just smashes these films out. If he's involved, that's it. Uh, the boy who played Fuller is Macaulay Culkin's brother, Kieran. Nice. At the end of the movie, where it snows outside Kevin's house, the snow is actually mashed potato. What? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what? Little flakes of mashed potato. Blimey. Chris Columbus had storyboarded a few scenes in which Kevin... Um, would have dreams where the house comes to life. One included the evil furnace in the basement, which would come to life and chase him down the stairs, and another where several toy nutcrackers would come to life. These scenes, however, were too expensive on such a tight budget. They priced up the uh, furnace scene alone at over one million. In the rumoured original draft of the screenplay, Uncle Frank is revealed as the real villain, and as the villain behind the villains. Harry and Marv work for him and he's hired to rob the McAllister house and a house in the neighbourhood, and if needed, to kill Kevin. <laughs> what? <laughs> Frank is a piece of work. <laughs> and finally, what our guy, uh, Devin Rattray, can be uh, pleased about, well, you can tell this in uh, bars or whatever, Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix were both considered for the role of Buzz. That's not bad, is it? There you go. Mad. Good little thing to have in your CV there. Sure, he'd probably have taken their later careers, but can't complain there. What I do have here wow. for us is a doctor's breakdown of each of the 
traps that Kevin lays for the wet bandits and what really would have happened to them, whether they have died, whether <laughs> they'd have suffered a particular injury or whatever. So we'll start off. BB gun shot to the forehead and groin. Um, not fatal, but not comfy either. So Kevin shoots Harry in the groin, Marvin in the forehead. They say a classic air powered projectile weapons typically have muzzle velocities of 350 feet per second or less. A BB fired at close range from such a weapon could break the skin, but will not penetrate the skull and is unlikely to penetrate Harry's scrotum, especially through fabric. <laughs> Lucky escape. Uh, <laughs> next up, iron to the face. So when Marv grabs what he assumes is a light cord, a hot iron falls down and smacks him right in the face, which he just shakes off. Uh, this doctor said that would not happen in real life, as you'd imagine. He says, let's estimate the distance from the first floor to the basement of 15 feet and assume the iron weighs four pounds. Noting that the iron hits right at the bridge of Marv's nose, this would, comp- this would create what's known as a blowout fracture, a blunt force trauma strong enough to fracture the bones around the eyes. At the very least, Marv would suffer serious and debilitating disfigurement. <laughs> <laughs> the doorknob branding, so... After Harry slips and slides up the front steps, he grabs the doorknob, unbeknownst to him, that's heated to glow in proportion, searing the letter M into his hand. The pain shocks him so badly he falls down the same steps. So they say that a glowing red doorknob rests at around 751 degrees Fahrenheit, strong enough to make Harry's hand just about burst into flames. For reference, sticking his hand in 155 degree water would cause third degree burns, so... This is, what, four times that. Assuming <laughs> Harry doesn't lose the hand completely, he will almost certainly have other serious complications. <laughs> um, next up, a blowtorch to the top of the head. <laughs> so Harry accidentally triggers a blowtorch to the top of his head. He doesn't move out of the way for seven seconds. That did Doctors wrong. say this would be enough time to cause actual rotting of his skull. That means the skin and bones suffer such damage he'd like me to transplant. Um, <laughs> the EMT said that sticking his head in the snow was a smart move, but this would also have sent him into shock as a result, and he wouldn't have been around for the rest of the film. <laughs> that that one was the one that most got me. I think. <laughs> just stood there. Um. Marv walking on glass ornaments, so he walks up a staircase full of tar and steps on a three-inch nail. He somehow remains upright enough to continue. Um, and then Harry tries to get in the window, lands directly on a bunch of glass ornaments in his bare feet. So it wouldn't feel great, obviously, but a little glass in his foot doesn't pose serious health issues unless infection sets in. But he wouldn't have been able to put any weight on his feet for the remainder of the film, for the remainder of the film. So he certainly wouldn't have been walking to the police car after, as well as chasing people around the house. I was going to say, I, think, I, I don't think it would feel great as a real understatement. No. A glass in your feet. Um, a paint can to the face. <laughs> after <laughs> Harry ducks to avoid a swinging can, Marv gets it in the face. Um, and that's the same face that took an iron a few scenes back. Um, <laughs> Assuming the paint can is full, roughly 10 pounds, and the rope is 10 feet long, uh, they're roughly taking a, a two kilo Newton hit to the face. Um, in real life, their faces would be destroyed 
the doctor said, and the resulting fall could cause a brain bleed and a resulting stroke that would probably cause death. Um, we've got a shovel to the head. Marvin and Harry have both suffered potentially crippling hand and foot injuries. Harry has proven to be impervious to burns and both managed to retain consciousness after taking a flying, plate, flying paint can to the face. Um, depending on how heavy the shovel is would be the damage, but they definitely shouldn't be walking into the cop car of their own volition. See, the villains fall at least 15 times within just this short scenario. Um, neither one would be able to get up out of these falls, especially at their age. The tumbles would be enough to give them herniated discs, bruised or fractured tailbones, multiple spinal fractures, broken rim, limbs and ribs, serious deep tissue bruising, internal bleeding, and that's just the start. <laughs> and that's not to mention the two more. A crowbar to the chest as Marv tries to get the tarantula off Harry. They say this would very likely result in, at the very least, cracked ribs, internal bleeding or a damaged lung. From and a falling grown man, that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> and the falling from the treehouse. Um, the pair managed to scale the rope to the treehouse but fall from a height right onto their backs. They say this would likely record likely result in critical injuries and maybe even death. They certainly would not get up from this one. If they were to survive, they would require a cervical collar for a while. So there's an animator in Canada that has recreated this film and put the realistic injuries into there with the blood and whatever. I don't know how long this took him, but you can find this on the internet. Quite aptly called Home Alone with Blood. Um, screen junkies... Uh, in this interview, Arthur doctors then tally up and they say it turns out Harry would die nine times across the first two films and Marv would die at least 14 times. <laughs> so 23 deaths across the first two films between them. Blimey. So there we go. They've uh, gone through the ringer and they probably need to investigate Macaulay Culkin here. Rewatchability, Sean, what are you saying for this one? Very rewatchable. Yeah, very much enjoyed it and did get me. I mean, it was obviously we are still in November, so normally, you know, without the pod, I probably wouldn't have watched it. But this is probably the first after watching this, properly getting into Christmas, timed with the news of the um, tears and obviously the lockdown news that we've had. But yeah, very watchable and also the lockdown news um, made you feel Christmassy. I mean, as in it ending and that us being able to see each other over Christmas. That's what I mean. Okay. Not that we are in lockdown. What <laughs> uh, <laughs> you were saying, the lockdown news made you feel Christmassy. No, no. Well, I mean, kind of the news, the news of it ending, uh, essentially, mm-hmm. and being able to see people at Christmas. Um, but yeah. But then obviously it's a strange one that, and it, it's rewatchable in the sense that, you know, you watch it around Christmas and this kind of time. But I could probably watch it again between now and Christmas Day. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Um, TK, what did you think? Yeah, rewatchable. I've, um, with Home Alone, I will admit, I've been guilty of not loving it as much as people seem to. Um, I don't think I watched it last year, which is an odd thing. I don't know why. Um, yeah, was, certain parts of it I just found a little bit annoying. I found Kevin a little bit annoying. <laughs> and certain slapstick elements of it I just found a bit annoying when I was younger. As I've kind of gone on, I've realised it's kind of 
what the film's about. <laughs> and I did enjoy and I did enjoy watching it. And it was, what is it, about an hour forty five? It, yeah. it breezed by. It, it barely felt like anything. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a must watch. Do you think it it'll push you to watch Home Alone two before Christmas now? Uh, yeah, exactly. I think I will. Whereas I don't think I watched either last year, for example. So I just need to get in. back on the horse, I think. Yeah, it's a shame we uh, <laughs> we haven't got that one for the Rex, for the Rex Ryan. Um, <laughs> but the, yeah, the it, clip last year that someone did with him with saying, grab by the pussy, but over that clip, <laughs> killed me. <laughs> <laughs> it, did, uh, it did strike me about how... Um, Kind of short the the film is. I did forget when I was watching it how long it was because you think the the actual whole scene of them being in the house from them being in the house to the end of the film it isn't very long at all. Uh, that's obviously the last mm. the last part of the film, isn't it? Um, whereas in the second one it's that it forms more more of a part of it. Um, but yeah, so like like Tika said, you kind of you can kind of very easily breeze through it. Well, horrible pair, Frank and Buzzer. They are horrible. Buzz is perfectly cast as that older brother, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah He's really good cast. But even just Frank just demanding the champagne the second he gets on the plane is irritating. <laughs> he, is, he is a hilarious character. He's, you know, sort of like saying, I've forgotten my glasses before, so don't feel bad. You could imagine someone being <laughs> that sort of wrapped up in themselves that they would say that. <laughs> in, ref- in refusing the chicken for the pizza, so that's my brother's house. Yeah, yeah. That whole thing with uh, Joe Pesci there at the start of the house—I was kind of watching it. In I don't know some sort of weird twist on the film. Like maybe this could all just be in his head when no one's answering him. Like is Joe Pesci just imagining this whole thing? <laughs> that scene feels as long as like the rest of the film. That scene with Joe Pesci just stood there feels like it goes on forever. I am amazed that no one really nobody questions the presence of this guy <laughs> in the house either. <laughs> I mean, I still, I still don't actually know who of all of the kids, which kids are actually in his family and which ones aren't, other than the obvious ones of, of Buzz and then the one girl. But well, they're all I, in I don't the family. Know the whole the dynamics of the whole family. Yeah, no, you're right. It's not really. Uh, got some cousins in there. Like full of really. Oh, so are, yeah, because obviously it's his brother. Yes, yeah, so they are all family, but. What's your is direct family? Who knows? Um, on to quotes. Not as many, I didn't think, for this one. I really don't no. need to hear no. you filthy animal anymore this Christmas. It, it I was going to say that. That's always the... Every the year. <laughs> what about keep it's the change? So before the... <laughs> yeah, no one does keep the change. It's always been Merry Christmas, isn't it? The, the, the incredible thing with the filthy animals thing is when someone does it, like it's never been done before. I think that's yeah. the element that, that really gets you. <laughs> <laughs> like this is the most original thing someone said. Uh, I got, I got two. Um, you're what the French call "let a compatant." So quite enjoyed. <laughs> and then uh, it, this might be my favourite quote across both films. Actually, um, is it true that French that French babes don't shave their pits? <laughs> <laughs> Which also is just classic buzz as well. <laughs> Cause him a trout sniffer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I I really did sympathise with Kevin where he says, uh, "This house is so full of people, it makes me sick." When I grow up and get married, I'm living alone. <laughs> um, 
All the great ones have one. It's our calling card, right? With a wet bandit. Yep. It really made me laugh when he said, like, it's our calling card. That just really tickled me. <laughs> Him saying about the knitted jumper he gets for his grandparents and Marley saying that's nice. And he said, not for a guy in the second grade. You can get beat up for it or something like that. I had a friend who got nailed because there was a room where he wore dinosaur pajamas. <laughs> When Bless Harry and Marv are trying to get to the uh, treehouse, and they go, where did he go? Marv is maybe committed suicide. I thought it was very <laughs> dark for this film. Bless this highly nutritious microwave or macaroni and cheese dinner and the people who sold it on sale. Got a lot of good microwave mac and cheese. I had one this evening, actually. But again, when, uh, when Joel asks, um, like, are you not worried about Kevin? And then he says, no, for three reasons. A... I'm not that lucky. Two, we have smoke detectors. And B, <laughs> we live in the most boring street in the whole neighbourhood and the whole of America. Which that was the first time I actually noticed that. I didn't notice that he says A, 2 and D. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it also really chuckled me when he says they have smoke detectors. Like That means that means you're completely fine <laughs> from anything if you've got smoke detectors. <laughs> the little almost wink at the camera where they say, uh, the woman says, are you here all by yourself? And he says, I'm eight years old. You think I'll be here alone? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> is this uh, is this toothbrush uh, American Dental Association approved? <laughs> Good question. Uh, sure. Would you have the girl on the checkout as your Christmas angel? Yeah. I, I did actually write that down, but yeah, not that checkout. The checkout in the airport. Okay. You're on the desk in the airport. Bit more attitude there. What were you going to say? More of an angel there. The one who behind in the airport, Christmas angel. No, what you you going to say? Oh, oh. Yeah. I was going to say Sean, uh, best moment slash scene. Yeah. Oh right, yeah. Uh, well, just before going on to that, I was just say it's not really a quote, um, but I don't think it's really a scene either. But the bit where um, Fuller, where they're talking about Fuller, obviously. Um, pissing himself when he goes to sleep but then there's a little scene where he's drinking the Pepsi and then he just gives a look to Kevin <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so enjoy that one but uh, favourite scene oh there and then um, the, the quote with uh, Gus Palinke's introduction where he's talking about them as a band and then keeps going and going and going he's like poker 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 <laughs> she, still, <laughs> she still doesn't know um, John Candy was a, was, a, was a big deal at that stage and they yeah, paid him. Ryan. So they they paid him four hundred and fourteen dollars for doing that, and he shot for twenty three continuous hours to get it all done in one day, so he could go back to filming elsewhere. Yeah, four hundred dollars. Jesus, that's a... It is a favor to the director. Um, seeing, I find this quite tough um, in terms of picking picking one. I think. When um, I quite enjoy when Marv goes to the back door the first time, and then Kevin obviously has the TV, and it's with the the filthy animal, on, and it's like yeah. AC and snakes. So you say this, and then the guns go off. Um, so I do quite enjoy that one. I like the scene when he um, uses all the mannequins, uh, and then it's like rocking around the Christmas tree playing. Uh, Michael Jordan in there. That brings me on. Yeah, does MJ get into the Rex Ryan for that? <laughs> I wouldn't object to it. I wouldn't object to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that one, I think I'll go for when like they first try to get into the house and he's playing that um, playing the TV show. 
I think for me, when he first realises he's home alone and does almost like a checklist of everything he wants to do, has his big ice cream there, has his swedge down the stairs, just ticking everything off. I think that's the best bit for me. TK, what about you? Yeah, you always have covered off the main ones there. I think, obviously, the, the pranking of Harry and Marv at the end is kind of the probably the big scene of the film, isn't it? The When you're having all the accidents that you've outlined before. Maybe not the most wholesome scene might be that one with the old man in the church. That is in the church, really nice. Yeah. Is a basically Macaulay Culkin basically gives him great life advice that apparently <laughs> he'd never been told to go and talk to his son prior to this eight-year-old in, intervening. But well, it seems he wasn't really nice. talking to anyone. He just knows the rumours going around about him. I can't work out why he's looking at everyone with his terrifying look. Why is everyone <laughs> running away? <laughs> um. Who who's who's your side character in this one? Well, I had John uh, Candy as a side character, but I don't know if I'm being a little bit fast and loose with the term there. No, I'd say he's a side character. He's probably in yeah. it more than just a cameo, yeah. Yeah, I that's think it. Could give it. He is superb. That like you said, that Sean, that bit that Sean mentioned with uh, him saying, "Like, do you recognise this stuff?" Is uh, oh, probably yeah. the funniest scene. He probably has so more that, screen time than Buzz. Yeah, you're probably right, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I I give it to him. I've got him down. So yeah, mine's mine's the same. Glad glad nobody's uh giving it to Frank. <laughs> well, interesting that your, you on your yeah on your diehard take that was yeah going to say just that you like Ellis but you don't like Frank. That's quite yeah. a... Ellis has got a bit more charm to him. <laughs> He's got almost side no character. Charm. Ellis side character is one of those it's got to be Buzz. It's got to be Ellis buzz is for one me. Of those guys that you're you're friends with, and then you be convinced there are people you're about. Look, when you get to know him, like, he's actually <laughs> really sound. Yeah, that's not me. Don't be telling you that. I'd be sick of him. <laughs> You've said that about a few people. But from the outside looking in, when it's not affecting you, then I could see why you could find him funny. If you're not having to deal with the repercussions, yeah. <laughs> um, I think we'll go we'll go into the uh, comparisons here because there's a couple that. We'll have some more debate. So, Sean, I will go to you first. Which Ooh. did you prefer? Which did I prefer? Which did I? That is a good question. Which did I prefer? You what tell any me. ties this week either? You tell me. Uh, <laughs> I've got. It was very, very tight. But I've gone for Home Alone. Based it partly because we're in a Christmas bracket, and I do feel like it's a bit more Christmassy. CK. Yeah, I've, I've just fallen on the side of Die Hard for the. The reason being, we are in the Christmas bracket, so I didn't want to just go, this is just a better film. But I have pretty much religiously watched this every year, whereas, as I just mentioned, Home Alone, I wasn't always a sold-on. So I'll go with Die Hard. I'm going with Die Hard too. I watch both every year, but I'll probably feel just as Christmassy watching Die Hard, to be fair. Mm. Um, Sean, rewatchability. Uh, die Hard for TK. Yeah, same. It's it's kind of cheating in that you could watch this any time of year as well. Yeah, but yeah. I, I was kind of trying. I say that I take that out of the equation, and I still find this more rewatchable. <laughs> kind of on that note, it's not in the bracket. We haven't got um, Love Actually in in the bracket, have we? Or, or did we put it in? Yeah. No, no. We yeah, we didn't. But I did once. We voted when... for four Christmases instead. I did once watch Love Actually Hangover. August bank holiday once when I was obviously like 30 degrees outside 
<laughs> for some reason was watching it. I'm going to be watching that for the first time uh, this Christmas, so I will You've never seen fill you in with my thoughts. No. Oh, VHS serious take, is there? It Very looks it's, it's well long. I, I can't believe how long it is. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it is. Long film, yeah. But it's an enjoyable film. Um, there is a whole section of the internet full of love actually hate. I thought as far as sort of kind of chip type of films sort of go, I thought it was all right, but there is a section of the internet that really, really hate it. <laughs> Best quote, you go into Die Hard or Home Alone, is this yippie ki up against Filthy Animal? Well, that would be what the uh, that would be what would be the obvious one, isn't it? But neither of those are actually my favourite quotes. To mine, which takes the cake for you? Takes the cake for me is going to be Home Alone, and I think I'll probably go for Buzz's A, B, and D quote. TK, this is tough. I'll probably go with that. You know, I think yeah, I think Buzz might win it. Even though Mine I think would. I think, think Dial's got more. I think that might be a better peak. Mine is is diehard with uh, no fucking shit. They didn't sound like I'm ordering a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Best moment slash scene, Sean. Uh, I've got diehard for this one, and for me, it's the when uh, when hands and and well hands death actually. I've got I've got possibly the two when hands and John first meet or hands death. So I'd probably either way it's diehard, but I'll probably go for hands death. The reason I didn't put Home Alone on this one as well because I wasn't sure whether to class all of the um, all of the scene of when they're in the house and all the traps as one scene. I didn't know if that that's was a that long time, yeah. So yeah. it's quite a long time. So that's why I didn't put it. Otherwise, it probably would have been that. But uh, just the base of one scene, then die hard for hands there. CK. Yeah, I'll, I'll only be really uh, reiterating what Sean just said there. To be honest, it could be any one of a couple from Die Hard, so I'll go with them. Mine is um, when he when he first realizes he's uh, home alone. But Don takes the cake. Um, MVP, Sean, you going John McClane? You going uh, Kevin McAllister? <laughs> On the basis that Kevin's an eight-year-old, I'm going for Kevin because I think the degree of gift difficulty. TK, <sighs> Sean does make a valid point, but. He does fuck me off a little bit, Kevin, with that screaming every now and again. <laughs> and John McLean's very cool, so I'm going with him. I'm sticking it on you. I'm going with uh, John McLean as well. What's your reason? Um, I just think he's cooler, basically. <laughs> Grow up. Is that, is that what an MVP is? Yeah. Hey, if Kevin had some more catchphrases, then he might charm me that way. But he uh, he folds flat there. Sean, who's your Christmas angel? Uh, well, obviously I had to think this on the back because I thought it was a different thing. But I'll go for <laughs> I'll go for Home Alone and for the checkout girl in the shop. Is uh, Kevin's mum LMHOF? I think she Ooh. is. Yeah, she's very bendy, but still. You still put her in that category. What do you reckon, TK? Yeah, I, I could go with that. She's a, uh, you know, especially when she's getting a bit stern. <laughs> she's in, we got two Hall of Fame inductees today, and it's uh, you calling this two marks for Team Ginger as well? Look, we'll take it. Whether she's a natural or whatever, it really doesn't matter. So, <laughs> not an Honestly, maybe more credit if you're dying it, Ginger. 
you're showing more commitment to the cause, aren't you? Actually, in a way, <laughs> Microsoft's angel was going to be um, John McClane's wife, but that was mainly through lacking an actual real character in Home Alone. <laughs> uh, mine is the just seeing my own uh, description there, so I'll go for John McClane's wife because. What what was your description? The the bird that uh, which bird has charmed you the most was my pick, and it was going to be the bird that works at the airport. There's nothing wrong with that. Mine's the bird who works at the shop. There you go. The shop might be a bit more charming. She's actually asking how he's doing, but all right, Sean's going to family fortunes. Me first answer. (laughs) Biggest Scrooge. Sean, you've gone all muffled again. Sounded like Kenny in. from South Park. Yeah, he said he threw it in at start. I said I threw it in. Yeah. Oh, have you? Oh, right. Um, well, biggest screwed. Probably have to go to Home Alone. It'll be um, Marv or Harry. <laughs> they they are than... literally trying to rob a kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> More than Hans Gruber trying to kill hundreds of people and Blow up a roof and run away with a cat. But, but he's not really Scrooge of Christmas, though. Not really. Hey, I agree. I agree. It's Frank. I'm just putting the idea out there. Yeah. Oh, you're saying it's Frank? Frank for me, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Frank <laughs> could be up there. Yeah. Frank is worse than a terrorist, is your mind? It all brings me back to Ellis. Yeah, I... It doesn't make sense. Hey, look, Ellis was nearly I mean, I Christmas didn't... Angel. Ellis was nearly the Christmas Angel. I, I didn't like Frank, but I didn't know that you could hate him this much. You really hate this guy. It's it's right from where he says you're big jerk in that voice. I'm like, we're done, me and you. And then just the way he aggressively asks for the champagne. There we go. TK, who's your biggest screws, did you say? I think it's got to be Hans. <laughs> I can't look past it. All right. Best side character, Sean. Uh, best side character, Big Al. TK? Uh, I'm going with John Candy in Home Alone. Very funny. Oh, I'm going for Ellis. I don't actually know the character's name. Mr. Polka. Polinsky, isn't it? It's something Polinsky. Yeah, I love it. But... Ellis gets my pick here. She'll go for this. TK, Bobby. I'm tempted to leave the podcast for you picking Ellis. This is fucking bad. Sure. Bobby. Would you go? What is? What? Where's the justification for voting for Ellis over Al? If you're gonna go diehard, how are you not voting for Al? Hey. Hey. Bobby. Let me have my pick. (laughs) Your views on Ellis and Frank. I, I know a guy who absolutely loves Andy Carroll, but thinks Ricky Lambert was useless. And I was like, these two are basically the same thing. But he's like, no, no, no. One is a god. One's terrible. Never forget Jack Blackson calling Andy Carroll absolutely unplayable on his day. On his day, Luke. On his day. It just that day just. It's easy to say when you don't ever have that day. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, on my day. You don't want you don't want me getting my foot curling around that ball, or my check hook around your chops. I thought the jab might come out at some point here. Yeah. 
Well, maybe. Sean, relatability. Relatability. Uh, home alone. For- you being left to left alone at Christmas, are you? Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've never been involved in a terrorist attack, so it's <laughs> 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 the most closest. It's the closest one. I've been left home alone at some point, and I've had Christmas. So, yeah. <laughs> Could have been at a snooty Christmas party. That could be your relatability. How does Hans think he's going to cash in those bonds, by the way? I was... I I do think there are some serious flaws of how he thinks he's getting this, uh, be honest. Because going to a bank with a large amount of money is going to be easy to trace. Going to a bank with registered barra bonds is surely going to be the biggest tell there's ever been. Yeah, yeah. And we'll very quickly flag up that he's not dead. <laughs> um, relatability for you, TK. Yeah, I, I was thinking neither of these are are overly, so I was going to go on the angle of a uh, a Christmas party that's maybe gone wrong. Obviously, this is quite an extreme example of that, but maybe that's the only tenuous link I can have. Sean is right. You, you have been left home alone before with I'm, in all fairness, I do remember I've been left home alone before at an age I thought that's probably not appropriate looking back. <laughs> so, maybe, so maybe I'll go with that. Not at uh, Christmas though, at least I've had that. I'm going home alone as well and that's for having too many people surrounding you at Christmas. I'm like, Kevin, give me my space. Have a peace and quiet. Except when you wake up the next day and I'm not there, you'd be like, this is great. You're not going, oh, why, <laughs> why did I wish that? You go, this is fantastic. I, I quite like... Um, other people being in the house, but I don't need to see you. or hear them. Like, yeah. just <laughs> no, there in case the cats are playing up or something. <laughs> um, who overcomes more to save Christmas? Sure. I was waiting for Sean to go with. <laughs> well, are you going to me first for everyone? Thought you might go to CK first. No, because I know that you often just copy what someone else says, so <laughs> put you on the spot. And you can't be influenced. No, I don't. I'm just so only... Lo- I like a bit of debate on these podcasts. I like to be able to influence and potentially change situations. I don't like the idea that you can... Well, yeah, you can influence by being first. Set in, set in stone with your own ideas. Right. That's right. Sometimes these podcasts, I leave a few of the topics open. I don't actually select one before we talk about it. That's fine. Hmm. But I'm going to you first. Okay. Uh, right, so... <laughs> Who overcomes the most? Probably, I'll probably go Diod on the basis that it, it is, he is dealing with um, a, a terrorist organisation and quite a few people with guns. Whereas Kevin, whilst he's eight years old, doesn't have to deal with two bumbling burglars. So, yeah, it'll be John McLean. TK? You're backing yourself to deal with two burglars at eight years old, are you? <laughs> I'm not, no. I'm not. But I'm not Sean doesn't have a blowtorch handy, so he's already on the back foot. Yeah, on, on the surface of it, it's hard to argue with John McLean, isn't it? But as Sean said earlier, he does get extra marks for being eight years old and doing all this. Yeah. He really does have his shit together. McLean is actually just doing what he should be doing as a policeman. He gets some lucky breaks in there, doesn't he, as well? You know, would you back John McLean to put together that well, house of traps like <laughs> Kevin did? A, I'm not a sure. Bloke, a bloke standing on a table while saying, you should take your chance to sh- kill someone while you can, essentially saying, please shoot me. 
Please <laughs> shoot yeah. me. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, I might change my pick. I'll change it to Kevin. Kevin does does need the help though. But he does more on his own, doesn't he? He does. I get what you mean. He needs that outright at the end. But he does more on his own. Whilst John needs help from Al, needs help from the police. No, it's tough. We we're giving a, we're giving John like the LeBron treatment here. Basically, like, you can't have any help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because uh, what's his name? Kevin does it what? twice, and McLean does do it on five occasions that we know of. <laughs> does not learn a lesson. They are doing that. That we know of. Like this is all going on quiet in the background. Well, no, I mean he's had a <laughs> they've career. Already, they've already filmed some of it. <laughs> he's had a career beforehand, and he's still they're still filming. So yeah, yeah. Is is uh is Al Ray Allen, the John LeBron? Did he save his legacy by going in into that building? He doesn't go in well, that you, building. You know what? That that could be a good take. He doesn't go in that building. McLean doesn't win that. McLean dies. I'd point you more towards uh, the old man who really does save Kevin's legacy. Does that mean Argyle, like uh, like J.R. Smith or something, is just along for the ride? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He'll be there with the champers at the end of it. The old man going swish with that shovel from deep. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Breen just comes in at the end. So who is your pick, TK? McLean or McAllister? Oh. I'll go with McLean still. He still does have to overcome a lot, but it's it's, it's a good debate. And Sean, did you change or did you? No, I'll, I'll stick with McLean based on what I put on you earlier as well. So first answers only. Agreed. Which film gives you more Christmas spirit? Home Alone for me. TK? Yeah, I'm in agreement on that one. I don't think you can really watch this and not get into that festive mood. Agreed. I a big part of that is the soundtrack to it as well. I mean, I know that's... Well, topic. that's our next question. Best that's soundtrack. Yeah. That is seamless. Yeah. We've done this before. <laughs> I but want yeah, some respect so... put on Christmas in Hollis. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? In Die Hard, he puts it on the radio. Christmas in Hollis. Run DMC. Yeah, but what do you mean you want some respect on it? What's the... <laughs> I don't want... I don't want uh, it just getting written off the as, an easy, as an easy Home Alone win when Christmas in Hollis like is, is a great tune. Home Alone win for me. Yeah, there's, you know, there's a body of work in Home Alone, isn't there? I mean, the actual... Christmas in Hollis is later in the bracket as well with uh, The Night Before. The main the main soundtrack. That one. That's Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It does sound like Jurassic Park, doesn't it? <laughs> I couldn't do it without going into Jurassic Park. <laughs> um, I do agree one, with you there. That one, uh, and then obviously there's, there's loads of other Christmas songs that are in it. So yeah, we could have done with Langston doing this a uh, Christmas theme for this podcast, really. Yeah, yeah. Why didn't you do that? Dreamy, uh, Langston. Get on it. it Post edit. Message him now, and then he'll get one, and then we can add it in into the edit. I think it's going to take him more than a couple of minutes to create a masterpiece. The um, I know it's not really the point in terms of the as an actual soundtrack as such, but Die Hard with the like dramatic music is very late eighties, nineties sort of thing going <laughs> on. It's very oh, something dramatic is about to happen. They're queuing you up for. 
Is you is your pick Home Alone still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean, which film has the best tree? See, I, when looking at this, I can't remember the tree in Die Hard. There's one in the Toby Plaza. Is it especially big? It's a decent sized woman when they first walk in, and there's another one in the party. I don't think he, the answer really. I don't think either tree is exceptional. I mean, if if you look no. at uh, Home Alone two, for example, they have obviously the big one at the Rockefeller Center. So, so you're saying we're, be... we're doing a first, and we're voiding the category on this one. That would be an easy <laughs> one, but uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'll toss it. I'll give it to Home Alone on the basis that there's more Christmas stuff around it. But I don't think either are amazing. We'll we'll, we'll void it. We're our first one. We'll have a good tree. Home Alone is um, is like a, a shit. The tree in Home Alone is like a shit player being exposed in a good team. And so they've got this unbelievable house and a shitty little tree that Kevin's obviously <laughs> decorated. Who who takes it for originality? Sure. Uh, well, I've got Home Alone uh, on the basis that I know, just because I know from when I was rewatching it, that Die Hard is based on a novel, um, whereas I didn't know what Home Alone was specifically based on if it was based on a book or not so I've gone for Home Alone TK? Yeah tricky this isn't it um, I, I went with Home Alone I think some of the ideas of it of, as has been discussed that the kid gets one over on the adults and that's where a lot of the comedy derives from I do think yeah. a, even at this point it's a little played out but the idea is, of him being left home alone for Christmas is obviously quite original and created something for themselves so i got to go with that Die Hard is as much as it's gone on to become its whole other animal is ultimately <laughs> an action film with a hostage situation which film made the bigger impact <laughs> I know this I was brutal down for this one so. I, I went on Home Alone but this is a brutal brutal question this what have you got my instinct was Die Hard yeah, what like until come up with a reason for one because the point you what, make for one you could probably relate to another one. That that being said, uh, there is over three hundred million between them in the box office. Christ, that'll be Home Alone. Who's got them all then? Yeah, yeah, that made a fucking killing, didn't it? Yeah, it was still um, like top of the box office come like February. Jesus. <laughs> Well, yeah, maybe just on that, though, maybe just on figures, I'll I'll go for Home Alone. Yeah. We won't get many uh, tougher choices than those, I don't think, for no. bigger impacts. <laughs> um, which film has the better ending? This was tough as well, I thought. I'm, I'm quite conclusive it's Die Hard on this one. Really? Well, you've got the, the, so what are the you fall saying from... Is your, yeah, if you're classing... The yeah, fall I'll... from the building and... I, I do. I do agree that the family get let off very easily in Home Alone. Yeah, it's quite guilty because of how short it is. They have to wrap it up pretty quickly, don't they? And when he looks out the window, sees the old man reconciled with his son. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a lovely mem- moment, Luke. His mem- they, 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 that they that was only it. included at the last minute. Yeah, it was going to end with him with the dad saying, uh, "What have you been up to this whole time?" And then him just smiling. I like that they changed that. That's good. They added it in to give it a more Christmassy feel. They, they nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. I've got Home Alone as well. So, TK, what was your pick? This is That's tough. That's really tough. I'll go with Home Alone. I don't feel proud about doing it. 
try hard, you've got the classic um, the bad guy that's meant to be dead as one last stand with him coming out. You've got the Argar redemption arc. We do let him off quite easily for the fact that he admits he killed a 13-year-old. Not Argar, sorry. Uh, Powell. Powell just just admitting that he did ice a 13-year-old with a toy gun. And his way out of this was to ice someone else. (laughs) (laughs) The best way to get over killing a 13-year-old is to kill a (laughs) (laughs) 31-year-old. And then finally, chemistry. So this is another brutal category. Mm, yeah. You've got uh, McLean and Powell, McLean and, and Hans in Die Hard, uh, but then in Home Alone, you've got oh, uh, wet Marvin and Harry, the wet bandits. And then well, you can even put Kevin and uh, the old man in it as well. Buzz and his tarantula. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I've, I mean, I've, I've picked Home Alone, I think, on the basis of, of Marvin Harry, the Wet Bandits. What about you, TK? Yeah, that's tough, isn't it? And I think it's kind of the chemistry between the quote unquote good guys and bad guys, isn't it? I mean, it's a bit loose with it in Home Alone, but the, the interaction with Bruce and Adam Rickman versus Kevin versus the bad guys, in, in my mind. I'll go with Home Alone because I think uh, Harry and Marv probably edge it on goal difference for it. My pick was dialed there with uh, Big Bruce and uh, Alan Rickman. But let me just total this up. Him and Powell do also have crazy good chemistry for two people that only know each other via the phone. <laughs> so it is a 9-7 win for Home Alone. Blimey. Close one. But that's a big guess start. Being a clear Christmas film does help. Yeah. For all the points of consideration, real star of the film, I think, quite clear. We've got Macaulay Culkin, obviously, and um, Ellis in Die Hard. So if the cast swapped, which film works best? <laughs> Bruce Willis swapping with Kevin would be a very depressing story <laughs> a blow just being left on his own for Christmas <laughs> which actually is what would happen to John McLean his wife would not be as forgiving as she is she wouldn't put up with his shit no although she is easily charmed by the fact that he does save her life in fairness yeah funny how these things work so we've got our Rex Ryan Hall of Fame inductees. Did we induct MJ? Hey, I'm happy for him to go in. I think so. There we go then. I think this is our most tenuous one yet, but. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's the message behind Christmas in these then? Uh, Don't leave your kids at home. Always double check the count. Bruce Willis uh, got a lot of misses to follow follow her career. Not just about him. Actually, the moral stories just don't allow that. Crush your, <laughs> crush your Mrs. Dreams, because otherwise you're going to end up in Hostage. Hostage by Bruce Willis, another great film. Very long, though. I just um, looked message... up um, Elvis in Home Alone, and it, you know what? I could get on board the conspiracy theory, you know? It doesn't look <laughs> like it could be him. It wouldn't yeah. research it at first, either. I thought, I thought they were... Uh, I thought they thought, right, he's onto us. I can't allow him to. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can see it. Yeah. 
message of Home Alone, I guess, is I'm sure there's something about family in there, but look, you don't need your family. You'll be sound on your own. Or Christmas is about family and not the presents, because he says he'd give all his presents away just to have his family back. He doesn't have to, though, so that's just empty words, isn't it? Easy for him to say. Or just don't go on holiday for Christmas, because I've, I've never got, I've never been on board with that. They all could have been avoided if they just stayed home rather than go to France. Just because a couple of their relatives were over there, get them from France over to America. Why are you not on board with a holiday over Christmas? I think you should be at home for Christmas. But they're with their family, though, aren't they? They're still they're all the same. I feel like a trip to France was wasted on those kids as well. Hey, learn compétence. <laughs> You've both done an excellent French accent in this pod, I'll give you that. <laughs> Biggest Christmas miracle in uh, each film, then. It takes Ellis that long to get killed. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> R.I.P. Takagi. Didn't deserve to go like that. <laughs> he really didn't, did he? That is kind of how they set the tone, like, we mean business here. Yeah. Especially when a lot of the reviews are just saying like how ruthless this film is, so they obviously weren't expecting. No foreplay in this film. Straight <laughs> on some business. Well, no, it wasn't. We saw burst straight in a bit of Charlie, and those birds were right on it. I think maybe one of the most miraculous things about Homer, though, obviously the the woman in the shop not questioning him at all. Really, she she obviously acknowledges his age and doesn't make any bones about it. But also, and I know. As you said, they had to cover all bases as to how you could forget your kid. But the idea that the whole street has gone away for Christmas, that everybody yeah. is away. <laughs> <laughs> Takagi needed to run a tighter office as well. They were going to get him of all sorts right under his nose. Mind you what they do when he's not there. What do you mean they would get of all sorts? There's people piping in the office and doing Charlie <laughs> off the desk. <laughs> Look, he just he allows creative freedom. <laughs> so, hey, it's Christmas. That's it. I was I was taking the assumption he said, "Look, it's a Christmas party. We'll do what you want, and then we'll, we'll sort it out Monday." But I'd, maybe this is just a regular occurrence in that office. Ellis is absolutely buzzing with that Rolex they've given uh, Holly as well. First thing he's saying is, "Have you shown Have you shown him? Look at that, a Rolex, just a token of our appreciation." Like he's chipped <laughs> yeah. in for it. <laughs> hey, good boy. He is. <laughs> he is. But anyway, I think that just about does us for our first Christmas special. Are you feeling Christmassy? I am now. More now than I was before I watched these films, yeah. And it's done its job. So next week, I'm just uh, double checking. I've got a week to write around. Yeah. So next week. A very Howard and Kumar 3D Christmas against four Christmases. Vince makes his return to the pod. Howard and Kumar make their return to the pod. Should be a good one. Mm. And then the week after, the night before against Office Christmas Party. Sean, can you believe TK's not seen the night before? I cannot believe that, no. Yeah, crazy. A great forward to it. Treat right for him to look forward to. Office Christmas party as well is, is a great matchup. Yeah, if you, I can tell you already, my Christmas angel there is Olivia Munn. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it would be. <laughs> but anyway, thanks again for listening to another edition of Movie Madness. We'll be back next week. We'll hear more of us. 
Who knows? We'll be back. Goodbye.